A golden opportunity to be in the same room yesterday, quite possibly even at the same table. Well, I would have demanded it at the same table. That's it. I mean, well, it would have, it would have had to be if we were actually in the same place. But um, once again, we ended up in in separate countries. I know. And if we hadn't have been on the same table, I know this is very <laughs> hypothetical because you didn't even come to the lunch. But if we hadn't have been on the same table, I would have brought a pen with me and I would have been scribbling out the uh, the table plan when we arrived. <laughs> no, you know those things when actually no, I've never done this. Have you ever done this when you go to? It's not always weddings, but normally weddings that have table plans. Have you ever been tempted to like shuffle the name cards? Uh, I have a couple of times. Uh, yeah, I have a couple of times. <laughs> we we had one where they um, there was a group of us that all knew each other pretty well, and it went um, girl boy girl boy, which was fine, you know, as they as they normally do. Um, and we just sort of were like, do you know what? The guys are just going to want to talk about golf, and so we just shoved them at one end, and we all sat at the other end. <laughs> it was sort of mutually <laughs> agreed, uh, and that was and that was fine, and it worked out brilliantly well. So we had two very separate conversations, but uh, yeah, I know so it, table plans very crucial. But uh, no, I, well, you weren't even there, so you didn't even get a table, unfortunately. Uh, but no, uh, I, because you are busy, you are elsewhere, you are paddling around the world. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm paddling in in Milan, which is actually warmer than the UK this week. So I arrive, I'm completely unprepared because the last few weeks we were obviously in Doha, Lisbon was pretty warm. So I can't, haven't even, for the first time ever last year, I actually packed up the winter stuff and put it away. You know, those people that have like a winter wardrobe and a summer wardrobe and they, and they switch yeah. some of the, I'm not that organized. I just have stuff and, and stuff comes to the front and stuff goes to the back. But for the first time, I kind of gathered up all the winter stuff and put it away. I thought, wow, this is really organized. But because everything's been so crazy with work and I've been in warmer places, I hadn't brought that stuff down. So I, I turn up in Milan thinking, yeah, this is going to be for It's freezing. It's freezing. So we're at the <laughs> Allianz Cloud Arena, which is where the next gen finals were hosted. Yes, I've been there. It's a, it's a lovely arena. It's lovely, isn't it? And we're staying wonderfully in a hotel, maybe the same hotel you would have stayed in, really close to it, about 500 meters from the yeah. venue, which is, I mean, the hotel's fabulous, but it's amazing. But, you know, in the morning, you can't see through the fog or the rain. It's, it's, it's freezing. And I'm it's so... It's December is what it, it is. <laughs> no, I know. But I just, I'm not, I wasn't ready. Because even in the UK, up until the last few days or the last week or so, it wasn't that cold. So I have, I have no hat. I have no gloves. I don't have a proper coat. It's just, I'm, I'm very much underprepared. But uh, no, the, the, venue's, the venue's wonderful. Uh, this is the final week of the Premier Paddle season. It's, so it's the equivalent of a Masters event so in Mexico we had the the major the Grand Slam this is a a master's level so um yeah I think you can it's very similar to I equate it to the Paris Masters when a lot of the players have got niggles there's you know what I mean there's a bit of illness there's a lot of tiredness and you have to think in paddle that you have you have older players so we have 36 year olds playing we have 43 year olds playing so there's that you can you can see the wear and tear both mentally and physically um (laughs) and there's been a couple of withdrawals and a couple who you've seen they've gone down a set and they just they do not have the energy however good they are to turn it around because it's so yeah liken it to kind of the Paris Masters sort of stage of the season where results can be not completely unusual because I think in paddle there's still too much of a gap between the you know the very top and and the rest but you can see some slightly unusual results so we are as we speak what day is it day friday quarterfinal stage and yes yesterday it was um i remember when i was asked to come to the lunch it was 
it was wonderful and then I realized I I couldn't go but it was the the great and the good of of the tennis world in terms of the British press the writers and and a number of our colleagues who work in tennis in the UK is that right yeah, BTJA, so the British Tennis Journalists Association, uh, it was their annual lunch, which often happens in the off-season this time. Well, I say often, annually it happens in the off-season <laughs> this time of year. Um, and uh, yes, so you have plenty of uh, the journalists, the press pack, you have lots of people involved in the media, you also have lots of players that come, uh, the governing body, the LTA, of course, they uh, they come and uh, mingle, as do uh, people at the All England Club at Wimbledon, uh, it was hosted at Wimbledon, um, and so, yeah, it is sort of, you know, everybody operating at that that level, and they, they set aside their differences, which there can be between the journalists and, uh, <laughs> and Wimbledon and the LTA sometimes, and just have a nice lunch, and it's, it's very relaxed. There's nothing on the record really going on um, for that. And we had a, a few players turn up. We had Joe Salisbury and Neil Skupski come, which was nice, and there's some awards given out and uh, auctions and all sorts of things going on. So, um, yeah, it was a lovely, a lovely lunch. It was a shame for, for you to miss it, but I know you've been to plenty. So who were the awards given to this year? Who got the honours? Uh, Player of the Year went to Cam Norrie. Lovely. Uh, he's busy in uh, Saudi Arabia, so uh, he sent us a, a nice video message. And the um, Lifetime... Oh, no, not li- it's not Lifetime Achievement. Oh, I can't remember the exact wording. Services to Tennis or something like that. Anyway, it was Sue Barker. Of course, it's Sue Barker. She's retired this year from her broadcasting role. And I think everyone was quite surprised she'd never won it before, to be honest. Um, so, uh, yes, so that was that was very nice. But they're the two main awards that get uh, get given out. But it was good uh, good fun. It was nice to catch up with uh, lots of people because in the off-season you sort of all disperse and do different things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely lunch, isn't it? Because it's a lovely time of year because it's Christmassy. Uh, we love Wimbledon at any time of year. But you go there and the Christmas decorations are up. And, and as you say, throughout the year we're, we're spread out everywhere or you, you might fleetingly see someone. So it's a really nice few hours where everyone comes together. You've got the old table plan and you can just chat to people you might not have seen for a while or you've only seen them passing. So it's a, it's a really lovely occasion. I'm actually out in Milan with Barry Cowan who is also due to be there so he was chatting to a couple of people who were at um the lunch and it sounds like it was sounds like it was a it was a lovely lunch and I'm glad you had a lovely time uh in terms of in terms of the tennis well it doesn't stop you mentioned Saudi Arabia and the players over there at the moment and the exhibitions and I saw actually saw today that Andrew Bettles is now working with Jill Teichman oh interesting didn't know that there you go. So it's, it's, it's that time of year, isn't it, when we get the... Sasha Bain had a little trial with Ostapenko, but he's back with Pliskova. And Andrew Bettles, who for so long was with Alina Svetlina, is now with Jill Teichman, who's just come off winning the Billie Jean King Cup finals um, with Switzerland. And it's, it's, a, it's that time of year, isn't it? Because it, as we've talked about so often, there isn't a big off-season. There isn't a lot of downtime. So if you're going to make those changes and you want to see those changes come into effect at the start of the new season... You've got to get on it. You have, yeah. It's it's just sort of the, um, the the obvious time, really, to make some switches. So we get more than ever at this stage of the year. But we do get them through the season as well. You know, if, if if a relationship's come to an end, it's come to an end. There's no sort of oh, let's see out the year. Um, you know, maybe it'll be oh, some if it's amicable, you might sell someone might help me for another tournament or so. But really, that's that's about it. Um, so 
yeah, we get lots of uh, lots of coaching switches, so uh, we'll be paying attention to that. And you mentioned that we were talking about the Saudi Arabia exhibition. Good to see Alexander Zverev back after his horrendous injury at the French. So that all looks good that he's sort of set to return in uh, in 2023 back to the court, which would be nice. And it, but it's going to be tough. It's just a tough road when you've had that long out. We see that with uh, some of the very best, and that's exactly what we've seen with with Dominic Team. Now he's he's documented, hasn't he, the struggles that he has had. I mean, he was out for a while and it's taken him a while to get back to any sort of level. A while, yeah. And it's been difficult to to watch at times, but it's also been great to see the processes, how week on week it has improved and, and how it's been difficult for him mentally. I mean, when you you know, come from winning a Grand Slam to when he came back, I mean, he could barely get a forehand in the court. And I, and I mean that literally, it was painful to watch for him um and just having to really claw back is um you know it's 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 amazing to see it um I wouldn't want to be doing it <laughs> that'd be rubbish <laughs> but it is uh it's fascinating I think to to view it from from the outside and to see that struggle and uh, you know I really hope that we see him you know really get back to his best get back to his peak because I think that's that would be thoroughly deserved so the, the Maldives pitches are winding down, the exhibitions and the pre-season are, are winding up and in amongst all this there was the really sad news, he had been ill for a while, of the, of the passing of a tennis legend. Nick Bollettieri, I mean, what, just such a, 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 hor- well, a horrible thing to happen, of course, um, but, you know, in his 90s, he just, I just felt like he was going to live forever. I mean, I, I knew Nick yeah. personally. I worked with him uh, for uh, probably a couple of years and I was based out of the uh, Bolletary Academy for a while. Um, and when I was a teenager, I mean, he was just absolutely fantastic. One of the most extraordinary personalities I've ever met. You will never meet anyone like him. And uh, yeah, as I say, he just had that vibe that he was just going to go on and on and on forever. So even though, you know, on the you know, on paper, it's not really a, a shock. It, it 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 does feel like a really bizarre um, situation for him to not be around anymore, not be in the world of tennis. But I mean, his legacy will live on for for forever. I mean, he's he's totally changed, you know, a huge amount about how tennis operates. Okay, tell me about your first meeting with him. How that came about? How you came to be training at the Bolletieri Academy? And any any memories or, or stories from just from just being around him? Uh, well, I was I signed with IMG, uh, and then basically we just you know for I think it was for off, my first off season they just said just head out of there so I just went out on my own and um, you know rocked up to the court I had a session arranged with uh, with Nick and um, yeah it was a, a he's an extraordinary extraordinary positive force is what he is all the time. And I've never seen anything like it, you know, because he's, he's on court, I mean, all day. He's got his own, there's Nick's court, that's his court, that's where he's stationed all day. And, uh, you know, and he jumps between working with, um, you know, professionals to somebody like me at the time, you know, I was 16 and sort of a, you know, wannabe professional, good, solid junior, that type of thing. And then, uh, and then he'll have clients come on who are just sort of like holidayers, you know, people like my mum who just want to come and have a session with Nick. <laughs> and he just sort of, he just goes through it from session to session but he's really like bounces around which is a very challenging thing to do um but what I find so fascinating is that he sort of speaks to everybody in a very similar way um and uh yeah that was always quite um amazing to me and I've never 
I've never known anyone deliver bad news but have somebody just feeling really positive about it. That that I don't know if that makes any sense, but for example, you'd have a, a kid come on the court, uh, somebody similar to me. I mean, this didn't happen to me, but somebody similar to me uh, at that age, at like 16, going, well, I want to be a pro. And uh, and he'd be like, great, let's get on court. Let's do a session. It's all positive, And he makes lots of noise. And, and he's just so, so good at what he does. He makes some changes to your game, which are instantly uh, having an impact. And you just feel so good about yourself. Um, and he'll be able to say to somebody, like he, they'll walk on court thinking, I'm going to be a top 10 tennis player in the world. And for a lot of people, they're wrong because they don't know what being a top 10 tennis player involves and they're not good enough. And, and that's just a fact. And, uh, and he will have them walking off the court being so excited about like going to college or something, which is of course a, a fantastic <laughs> yeah. journey, but in an hour's session, they've gone from being adamant they're going to be top 10 and anything less is a failure to walking off the court, just buzzing that they could get into like a, a Div 1 college. And, and it, you know what I mean? So he sort of delivers that news as in like, look, your only way to get there really is to go through college because they're just not good enough at the time. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and, and to, to still have that positivity. I mean, everybody walked off the court feeling so good about themselves. You never well, had anyone feeling bad. And I think that's a really special talent. I think I mentioned it on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Recently, one of one of my boys did this kind of football trial things, advanced football trial, and, and he didn't make it onto the course. And the way the the guy leading it handled it, I thought was really bad. Um, you know, this is, and I've, you know, work in sport, around people. People had the pleasure to work with Nick Bollettieri a long time ago, a couple of times. You know, those people that, that have have that passion, have that way of, as you say, dealing news and, and dealing with people. And I just remember the situation. I just thought, this kid's seven. Like, could you not have handled that a little bit better? You know, for a kid to walk off saying, well, maybe I should stop playing. Maybe I shouldn't do it anymore. Because at this age, <clears throat> and you're probably talking about people a bit older, but, you know, they're, you want them to have fun. Do you know what I mean? You want them. And if they want to have that belief, they can do it. Let them have that belief. If he believes he can be a Premier League footballer, just let him have that dream for a bit. They're only seven. And the way some people just kind of squash it, some people will say, well, that's the way to deal with it because you don't want them going on thinking about it. But I like the fact that Nick Bollettieri would say, because there is a life outside of that if, if that, if he thought that was unrealistic for that person. And isn't that such a, a special talent that you could walk away thinking, arrive thinking one thing and walk away equally happy that another thing is possible? Yeah, and, and that is, as I say, is such a difficult thing to do. And because of Nick's name, people were booking sessions because they wanted to get his judgment. They wanted to get his opinion of what they can achieve in the sport. Um, and, you know, parents are always searching for that. And, you know, so that's a lot of pressure <laughs> on him. And, I mean, yeah. it's not like he's going to get every single thing right. But, as I say, you know, he saw people, you know, he didn't see tennis players he saw people and and that is what I mean by he spoke to everybody in the same way whether it was me who was sort of a wannabe at the time whether it was a professional training on the court next to me whether it was you know someone like my mum turning up and they've paid a fortune to come and see Bolletieri everybody was exactly the same because everyone's just a person to him and uh yeah I mean just I mean and he taught me so many lessons I mean one of the first things he ever said to me was I think I got stroppy after missing a shot <laughs> and uh 
and he and he just said in like as I say in like the most positive way he was like you've got to learn how you've got to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win baby and I know that it seems <laughs> so simple but when you're 16 and all you focus on is you know desperately trying to win you you're a perfectionist you don't want to miss you lose sight of all of that and you know when you actually look at the numbers of you know, people who that are winning, winning and losing points. I was actually talking to David Samuel, at uh, who's Liam Brody's coach, uh, at uh, the lunch yesterday, and we were talking about this. You know, the amount of losing that you do, just, people don't realise you pretty much lose as much as you win if you're a top fifty tennis player. <laughs> so you're seen as being incredibly successful, um, but when you're young, you just don't really get that. And as I say, Nick was the first person who you know really made me realized that made me realize that the unforced errors were a big part of the game and if you're not playing with unforced errors like what are you doing you're probably losing um you know especially with the game style that I had and that was um that was always a that was his stance and that really transformed and it allowed me so much more freedom on the court to play properly because you're not terrified of just missing every point um, you realize that there's a place it's all about managing and organizing your unforced errors if you can if you can create that skill and uh, yeah, so I mean, that was uh, definitely one of the biggest lessons I learned from him. And I remember one time, I mean, because I was training in Florida and it was like the August, I think it was just before US Open. So it was ridiculously humid. Um, you know, we had to stop every afternoon because of thunderstorms. It was just, yeah, proper Florida. Uh, and uh, I, I remember I was working on my lefty swinging serve and uh and I was at the baseline and obviously like, I'm dripping with sweat it's the end of my session and he was stood just just a few meters away because he likes to be quite close to you you know when you're when you're playing because he doesn't like to shout too much and so he was a few meters sort of if I'm if I'm on the advantage side at the baseline he was a few meters just in diagonally to my left in front of me but before the service line and he was like right now really throw the your racket towards me um to get the the spin because a lot of people think that you have to drag around the ball to get a, a sliding yeah. serve but you don't actually have to throw it the other way and anyway so I threw it and it it my, the racket flew out of my hand and literally <laughs> went straight past his ear and I was absolutely <laughs> oh my god I was so mortified he did not flinch didn't flinch his standard <laughs> Nick Volatieri stance didn't flinch at all and then he just went okay that's enough for today <laughs> i had to run and get my racket and i afterwards i was just thinking oh my god i nearly killed nick Bolletieri. <laughs> like, Jesus. so um uh yes yeah, so that was always quite a funny story but um yeah just a great guy and i think the great thing is how we talk about players evolving and he also evolved when you think of of the age he got to and the players who was working with the people still listen to him he, he still had a voice he was still so well respected but but to be in that position you have to evolve with the time yes there'll be core things and values he stands by but he also had to he also had to evolve as, as a coach as a person within the sport because because tennis is ever-changing yeah and I think he knew his strengths and weaknesses and his biggest strength was as a talent scout um, which is why everybody was going there wanting his judgment on things because, you know, yes, he did a, has done a huge amount of coaching in his time, but, you know, all of the players that have worked with him haven't necessarily been technically and tactically coached by him the entire time. You know, there are a team of people there. Um, a lot of the time, these players, especially when it 
when he joined with IMG, they come and use the facilities. And yes, there's input from Nick and they love being around Nick and, you know, he's, he's there. But it's not like he is an individual coach of a player for, you know, a long block of time um, because he created this academy set up um you know he's you know that was his pioneering thing and it's obviously so hugely successful um but he knows uh, he knows talent when he sees it um and he will do anything to get those players to come and train at, at his academy and that was probably his his biggest strength in terms of just him as a, a coach and and as a as a business really i suppose and yeah, I mean, yes, what a legacy. What a cool, he's just such a cool guy. I was so privileged to, to get to work with him for the time that I did and uh, and learn, you know, so much, just so much experience and delivered so well and so positively. Uh, just everything about being at Boletari's, you know, like, you know, and, and it, it filtered through to all of the staff. You know, I had never, I worked with a, a guy called Yutaka Nakamura, who was my fitness trainer, my strength and conditioning coach, and he's worked with Naomi Osaka, Maria Sharapova, Kena Shakuri. I mean, he's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, just the positivity that comes from everyone, you know, the minute you get there, it's just sort of like, oh, wow, you could be so good. You know, if you did this and you did that and same with strength and conditioning, no one had ever told me I could be good physically on the court because it was always a weakness of mine. And then all of a sudden, a week in, I'm thinking, yeah, oh, my God, if I bust myself this off season, like I could I could really, you know, be very quick. I could do this. I could do that. And I'd never had that feeling before. I'd always felt like. I was battling and being judged. And as I say, that all stems from the top, which is Nick. And that just filters all the way through. So you, you couldn't ask for a better atmosphere, I, I don't think. It sounds corny, but he could he could brighten up a room. I, I mentioned working with him a handful of times. And mostly it was in person in the commentary box at Wimbledon. A handful of times it was over the phone if he wasn't where we were just to get his views on things, preview some stuff. And, and when he walked in... Even if he thought, who the hell is this? He would treat you like you were his long lost sister or relative. Do you know what I mean? He would say, hey, how are you? Even if he was thinking, who the hell is that person I've got to work with? But he made you immediately feel at ease and comfortable. And, and sometimes it's not always like that when you have guests or people come in, especially these people that have this kind of aura around them. But that, that's, that's why. And it always made me chuckle because, you know, you'd say, hey, Nick, how are you doing? And, and you'd get this, you could... If he wasn't with you in person, he was over the phone. You knew he was smiling. You knew he was grinning. And and again, you know, I love the fact that even if he didn't have a clue who he was speaking to, <laughs> and he probably didn't, um, he just made you feel so warm and welcome. And that he was like, yeah, great, and this. And it was, yeah, as I say, it was only a handful of times. Um, and he probably wouldn't, wouldn't have recognized me from Adam. But as you say, it's just that warmth that he brought. And it's... Uh, it was a sad moment. It was really interesting and, and lovely, wasn't it, to read? Did you go through it on social media, all the tributes from mm. players who've worked with him, whether actually on the court, in the commentary box, or knew him personally? It was, uh, it was the outpouring for him and, and, and for what he achieved in his life. I, I thought that was really lovely. Because social media, sometimes it's not the nicest of places, but on that occasion, it was really nice to scroll through and just read all the tributes. Yeah, it was. And you know, he just loved tennis so much. I mean, you reminded me of that, the, the very first time that I, I spoke to him was the first time I played at Wimbledon. Um, he was working on Radio Wimbledon doing some, uh, whether it was interviews or whatever. And and uh, I, I don't know, somebody just mentioned to me like, oh, Nick Bonateri was talking about you on, on the radio. And, uh, you know, he was really <laughs> impressed. And so I was just like, oh, cool. I was like, oh, I want to go and I want to go and speak to him. Um, so I asked when he was on 
when he was like, you know, I totally forgot about this until now. I asked when he was on the next on the radio the next day, and then I just sort of swung by and I turned up, and as soon as I walked in, he was like, ah, oh, Naomi Cavanaugh, I was watching you yesterday, and and everything, and he was um, <laughs> he was so. Um, brilliant and you know he clearly been paying a lot of attention he clearly wanted to to speak to me and and that sort of thing and uh yeah and and from then he was like yeah you ever want to come to the academy please do and as i say i pretty much just think straight after that event i signed with img anyway um just sort of coincidentally and then um that was, i was like right that's where i'm going <laughs> i'm gonna spend <laughs> some more time with this guy he's great uh and that was it but yeah i mean he just absolutely loves tennis i mean even you know you know, all through his 80s, he'd still be turning up at Grand Slams and, you know, he was still working, he was still commentating at Wimbledon and, and that sort of thing. Um, he just didn't want to miss it. Yeah, no, it's it, it's an incredible man and um, he absolutely will be missed, but his, his legacy will live on. Now, I don't feel like my season's finished because I'm still on site and working. It's not tennis, but it's paddle, but it's still work. Uh, are you ready? Are you ready for the new season? Are you in pre-season already? pre-season training uh, not, quite. not quite there's a lot of chocolate to eat before that begins I think um <laughs> yeah I am I'm looking ahead to uh 2023 and uh yeah I can't I can't wait really I think there's so many fascinating stories I mean I think this season's been brilliant it's been so so good I've just really enjoyed so much of it there's been some ups and downs there's been a lot of uh news stories that have sort of broken the boundaries a lot of a lot of uh, situations that weren't particularly ideal, which is still ongoing. It seems like the Australia one's been resolved for Djokovic. The Wimbledon debate is still rumbling on what they're going to do next year with Russians. ATP and WTA have come down very hard, uh, on as hard as they possibly can, it seems, on uh, on Wimbledon. So that is going to go on all the way through the uh, the preseason and into into next year. I mean, where we'll end up with that, I have absolutely no idea. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, those have been, of course, you know, the huge stories, but, um, and, and the retirements of, uh, of Federer and sort of retirement from Serena. I don't really know what it is now. Um, but yeah, I mean, 2023 will bring, it just always does every season just bring something, doesn't it? There's something to get your teeth into. Feels like a real game changer though this year, um, because there was an awful lot of retirements. It feels like a, not a whole generation. We still, we still got some hanging on, but it does feel like a bit of a shift in terms of those in terms of those who finally said right you know as I say Serena we, 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 is it we don't know will it who knows but one person I'm looking forward to seeing go to even greater heights is Iga Swiatek because I think what she's done not only has she embraced being number one. I think that's the first thing because of a few, I know she got it initially by default in terms of Ash Barty says, right, I won the Australian Open, goodbye. And so Shantek, bang, was in there. But she's held on to it and she's run with it and she's coped with the pressure. But also she's she's using her platform. And again, players, they don't, they don't have to be role models. They don't have to use their platform. We've spoken of those who do and those that don't. But recently she was um, on the cover, the front page of the Polish edition of Forbes women. She has also recently been speaking up against things that have been taking place with the Polish Tennis Federation. I think she has really embraced being number one. And I think she is such, I think she is a really strong role model and, and someone who's going to be quite hard to displace. Yeah. I mean, she is, uh, yeah, she's been phenomenal this season, hasn't she? And, you know, there was a little bit of a settling period uh, where she was just sort of getting used to 
used to things, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you couldn't really have asked for much more, could you? Um, absolutely sensational from her. Um, yeah, she'll continue on. I mean, she's head and shoulders above the rest in terms of her level, the points she's got, what she's achieving. Um, you know, she has to be quite off the pace. She's got to be quite off the boil for anyone to really be able to get a win over her, which it does happen. It happens, of course, it happens through the season. But, um, you know, everybody walking on court knows that Svantec has to not be at her best for them to stand a chance. So I think that's, uh, you know, such a powerful position to be in. Um, I do hope we get to see Ash Barty in uh, in January in, um, in the Australian Open. I hope she turns up and sort of, you know, does something with the trophy. I'm, I'm sure she'll be involved somehow. <laughs> I can't believe it's been a, it's been a year. Well, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely crazy but um yeah i think um going back to Sviontek, she has settled into life as world number one and you know the queen of the tour i suppose you could call it uh incredibly well and as you say she's using her platform now she seems very confident she knows what she's about she is so far away from the head of the pack it's ridiculous when it comes to points and everything and uh yeah i think we're just really lucky to have someone like her at the top so a couple of questions for you has your movie wrapped up yet well, the filming has wrapped, yes, uh, on the TV series. and <laughs> Still a movie. We... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now it's uh, post-production, so we're, we're taking a look at um, all the episodes and uh, uh, making sure, uh, my job is to make sure that the tennis sequences uh, work because, of course, you're cutting a lot of different takes of one point together, so you need to make sure the timing's right and everything looks right and where the ball's going and all that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, plenty to plenty to still be working on, but uh, it will be out at some point next year, uh, which is very exciting. Um, so, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely winding down. I'm not on set anymore. Um, but, yeah, it's, I hope, fingers crossed. I think it will. I'm very, <laughs> feeling very confident about it. Everyone's working very, very hard. But you know what? Sports films and sports TV series are incredibly difficult to do because everybody knows it. That's the thing. It's like if you make a, a drama series about the police force, for example, no one knows about the police force unless you've been involved in the police force. Whereas when it comes to watching people play tennis, I'm talking about the UK here, everybody watches <laughs> Wimbledon pretty much. Yeah. Everybody knows what tennis looks like, how it feels. Everybody knows all of those details. So you just can't get away with stuff, really. Um, so it, it's much more ambitious and I think much more more difficult to pull off. But pull it off, we will. Yeah, you'll have a lot of people saying, oh, you don't hit it like that, you don't do it. But there'll always be critics. There'll always be people judging things. It's, you know, but um, I think the main thing is that you can walk away from that project. I will stop calling it a movie at some point, probably when it comes out. Um, yeah, once you've seen and it. Once you, I'll say, Naomi, that was a TV series. You're like, I know. Um, but as long as you can walk away thinking I've done my best and look, you've played this sport, you've been out there in, in that situation. So I think it's amazing that you've been involved in it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, we w- I would have loved an unlimited budget and it to be a movie. <laughs> so it was a movie budget and we had movie timescales and that we could go, oh, we've got a year to make this thing. And that's not the case, <laughs> you know, uh, or maybe even two, three years sometimes these films have and that the play, the actors could train every all day, every day for six months. And, you know, we, we didn't have any of that. So you obviously have to work to the... Uh, the uh, the boundaries that that you're you're given, but um, you know, I really believe we can deliver something really good. So I am very um, very excited and, and looking forward to it. We've got other other TV series coming out next year as well. Those challenges is on Netflix, 
Um, my one that I'm working on uh, is called 15 Love, and that will be out on Amazon Prime in the UK. I don't know where it will end. It will be, end up on Amazon elsewhere as well. And um, and then also we've got the uh, the documentary, The Drive to Survive, oh, yes, the Formula yes, One documentary yes. that's being made. Um, that should be out in January. I imagine they'll get it out before the Australian Open because there's no point in not getting it out before the season starts. Um, so, yeah, can't wait to watch that. And I finally watched King Richard. I know it seems like I've... Re- oh, you did? Well, it sounds like I'm really late to the party, but I've been on a fair few, a fair few flights recently. And yeah. I thought, hang on, this is, this is the perfect opportunity. So um, I finally watched King Richard. I mean, that's, I just, just put that out there. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know what I, I don't think it was quite what I expected. Do you see what I mean? Um, I think, I won't, yeah. I won't get into a film review now. Uh, I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I think when it stopped, I thought it was going to carry on. I thought it covered a, a broader, went longer. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, this was kind of yeah. the, the yeah. build at the beginning and, and getting there. I thought I was like, oh, we're stopping now. Um, but I, I thought, you know, uh, yeah, before before all the bits that we know about, I suppose, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the point. But um, but yeah, I, I know you sort of wanted like a sequel. It's like, yeah. And then what? Because it just gets better. Okay, and this and it was just sort of stopping when when Serena Williams was sort of coming into the picture. Do you see what I mean? Because as you say, it was all those bits yeah. before when you saw so I was like, so it feels like it feels like could there be a King Richard 2? I don't I'd look, you know, maybe I don't know. But yeah. Mm. No, I finally saw. I've just seen a piece of news. Nick Kyrgios has confirmed he'll play Roland Garros after a six-year break. This is oh, this is a big turnaround. I mean, he's in he's in Saudi at the moment, isn't he? It's been six years, has it? That's ridiculous. I didn't know it? that. I didn't know it was that long. Six years since he hasn't been there. Wow. Mm. And he's he's talked about not liking the clay, and it gets in his socks, and it's just this and that. And so I wonder. I mean, he really yeah. After a six-year absence, oh, all because his girlfriend wants to see Paris. You know what? That's a reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so Nick Kyrgios and he said I've played on I've beaten he said um, I've played well on clay I've beaten Federer Vavrinka I've played a final on clay Estrel 2015 but usually at this time of year I like spending at home um, but she wants to see Paris so so that yeah the last of Kyrgios's five appearances at Roland Garros came in 2017 is wow. it crazy? So wow. there's a, a little bit news to you. And finally, do you have a Christmas tree yet? No, no Christmas tree. We're, we're not in our house at the moment because oh. we're renovating. So oh. uh, we'll be back oh. in a week or so. So you can, uh, you can quiz me on it. Give me a couple of weeks. All right. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry we weren't in the same room yesterday. We, 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 I say this. We will be at some point. I don't know when. Um, I am. Yeah. I'm. So your season, your season's finished now in terms of work. Are you, is this not like oh, your yes. rest period? Wrapped okay, up now. So, you're wrapped up now. I got a I got a few days left, so I'm going to go and get ready. It's quarterfinal day, and we're hoping the quarterfinals will kind of work in around the World Cup quarterfinals. I, I, things never work out that well, but that's what we're kind yeah. of hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it warms up a bit for you. Yeah, no, thank you. It's well, I, apparently it's warmer than it is back home, so I'm I'm going to take that because I I come back to the the cold next week. But it's a pleasure as always. And, uh, and we'll catch up next week. Yes. Speak to you then. Have fun. See you soon. Bye. Bye.